Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, good afternoon, King's Church, Cambridge. It's uh, great to be with you again and uh, sharing for a second time. For those who, who weren't here this morning, um, this is my beautiful wife, Laura. We've been together for 16 years, uh, married for 13 years. And uh, these are my two beautiful girls. So we've got Talia, who's nine, soon to be 10 uh, this month. And then we've got Sophie, who is five. And it's, uh, it's been a blessing to bring them uh, with us as we've been traveling around and experiencing lots of uh, God moments. We had this one moment where uh, we were just invited around a family's home. And uh, in America, they, they had a nice campfire and they got the marshmallows out. And so we were doing uh, marshmallows around the campfire and then just one of the people around the fire just started to pray and then someone just grabbed a guitar and next thing you know worship was kicking off and it was just very normal and just amazing how the spirit of God was just flowing and I was yeah just absorbing it thinking wow this is church we're we're meeting with God here and so seeing my girls um, in the presence of God was just just a really amazing thing. So we pastor a church uh, in Portsmouth called City Life Church. Uh, we've been there for 10 years now. My background, my father is a, a pastor um, and I served uh, in my dad's church for nine and a half years and that was a real uh, privilege and honor. Um, recently I've taken on a, another new role. Um, so just before I went away on sabbatical I was asked to be the chaplain of Portsmouth City Council. A few years ago, uh, God gave a prophetic word for a couple who came in through Bethel and they prophesied over me about having governmental influence. And when I had the, uh, the, received the word, it was one of those words you, you, you kind of laugh at it. It was like, government? Nah, you don't know me. I don't do politics. But, you know, God has his way of, uh, getting his way. And, um, about three years ago, what happened, we had uh, the Deputy Lord Mayor of Portsmouth was invited to one of our services by some local councillors, some local politicians that were not actually even Christian, but they'd kind of made a bit of a tradition of coming along to our carol service. And so this uh, Deputy Lord Mayor comes along and he just wept through the entire meeting. And uh, he would come back and visit a few more times. And just every time he would just weep and he would say, I don't know what it is. But every time I come to this place, I just feel overwhelmed with this love, this acceptance. Well, I was able to meet with him one to one and, and share with him that it was the Holy Spirit. And it was God's love and that God loved him. His name was David. Anyone know what David means? Beloved. So I'm like, David, like, you are so loved. It's even in your name. You are loved by God. Now, this guy had a very checkered background. This guy had actually been in the national press um, for all the wrong reasons. For I want to try and put it uh, nicely. Um, I say not nicely. 
I want to be tactful in how I say this, for, shall we say, inappropriate parties. He was on the front page of some national press uh, papers, and I'd say his, he had a very checkered background, Freemason, practicing homosexuality. I mean, there was a few things that were just like, you know, would kind of make some people squirm in church. And But he kept coming and just encountering God. How many of you know it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance? God is good. And God, the reality is God doesn't categorize us. We sometimes do that, but God calls us, you know, his, his children, his workmanship. Anyway, he came along and just every time would just be really touched. So when, it, when he said, when it comes time for me to become the Lord Mayor, he said, I want you to be the one to pray in the council chamber. Now, he was very, very open about his, his sexual preference. And, and he was one of those characters where he's like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm just going to be who I am. So, and actually, God used that, that kind of attitude, because when he invited me to be, and he's like, hey, you want to pray in the name of Jesus? You want to, you do it the way you want to do it. You, you're you. You're a Christian minister. And so, but when I was first asked, like, first thought was like, wow, like, This is an amazing opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need a savior. And so I thought, wow, this is amazing that I'll get to open prayers with all the politicians gathered and influence the very beginning of their meetings. And um, so that was my initial positive thought. But then the second voice came, that voice of doubt, that voice of, Hang on, do you really want to associate your ministry with this guy who's got a very checkered past? He's not very popular. Uh, Do you really want to associate your ministry? I mean, you're a holy man, you're a righteous man. Do you really want to, you know, rub with that? And this second voice, and I chatted to a few other people, and they're like, wow, you know, you know what he's been in the paper for, and, you know, this. Anyway, I just felt the Holy Spirit, you know, as I began to process it with the Holy Spirit, I really felt like that the Holy Spirit put me in my place and said, hey, wasn't Jesus the friend of sinners? And how on earth are we ever going to change the dark places unless we have the boldness and the courage to go in? to those unrighteous places, to go into. That's how we change. You know, and just as we were worshipping earlier on, I just really felt like the word for your church this afternoon that God wants to drop in is that God's called you to be a catalytic people. A catalytic people. That, and what's a catalyst do? It, it speeds up a change. It brings about a reaction. It brings about a transformation. It, it happens very quickly. And I believe that what God is wanting to do through this community of King's Church, Cambridge, he's wanting to use you to bring about that radical, rapid, catalytic change. Not only that's going to impact Cambridge, but it's going to impact the nation and around the world. So be encouraged. God is at work and God has a great plan for this place. So anyway, so I decided to accept this opportunity after the Lord rebuked me and put me in my place. And so I said, thank you very much. I'd be very happy. And so I had my opportunity. And as the council meetings would gather and there'd be a lot of the pomp and ceremony and uh, 
I, I, like I say, I don't really know a massively amount about politics, but I love God and I love people. And so I just stood up and said, you know, said some prayers. And, and I did my first one. I was kind of like, do I do the politically correct thing? Because how many of you know that it, in a lot of circles, it's okay to pray like in God's name, but it's another thing to pray in Jesus' name. How many of you know that? Like, because God could be like a rock or a tree or the wind or, you know, it could be whatever you want it to be. But when you're saying Jesus, you're being very specific. And the previous chaplain who was there, he would, you know, he would never use the name Jesus. It's strange when you think, ah, this guy's maybe a Christian minister. But he would never use Jesus' name. And so anyway, because of the way that this uh, Lord Mayor was, hey, you be who you want to be. I don't care what anyone thinks. You know, you pray in the name of Jesus, you go for it. So I did that. I prayed in the name of Jesus and invited the Holy Spirit to come into the room and that God would build the, the, the government on righteousness and integrity and justice and that there would be purity. And, you know, it just really began. It just felt like God said, pray like you pray in church. Be you. And uh, so I was able to pray and, and do that. And it came to the end, towards the end of my term, it was my last time to pray. And uh, I knew, I knew that, like, this was a very, very in, important opportunity. God began to speak to me. It was Valentine's Day. And they were discussing the budget for the entire city and where they were going to be spending millions of pounds. God told me before the meeting, he said, I want you to really hone in on the theme of love. But I want you to do it differently. Rather than praying out like you would normally do, I want you to read them the Father's love letter. How many of you have heard of the Father's love letter? If you haven't, Google it. Google Father's love letter, put it in YouTube. It's basically loads of scripture that's put together that forms a love letter. So, you know, say, you know, dear son, you know, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you or forsake you. I've got good plans for your life. It's full of scripture, but it reads just like a love letter. And so I said to the politicians, you know, prayer we often think about is talking at God. But actually what's very, very important in prayer, perhaps even more important than us talking to God, is listening to God. So I said, so I'm going to read you this prayer. And whatever your beliefs and doubts and struggles and, you know, I want you to know you are loved by God. And, and Jesus has a plan for your life. So um, I begin to read this uh, Father's love letter out. And, you know, you see, like, politicians just becoming quite emotional. You can see people tearing up. And, and it was a very, very powerful time. Um, just just speaking, affirming God's love. Now, God took it a step further. He said, I also want you to handwrite every one of them a personal card. That took a lot of time. Because I didn't just... I don't, I don't like writing cards that are just too happy birthday from. I, I just don't see the point. If you're going to write a card, write some encouragement in it. Say something like really meaningful. So otherwise, I just think it's a waste if you don't. But I want to encourage you, for those of you who write cards, like put some meaning. Ask God, what do you want me to say? 
put a prophetic word in there. Put a scripture in there. Put why you appreciate and admire that person. It, it can really make someone's day. So anyway, so God told me, you know, write them all a handwritten card. So I didn't have a word. So all I did, I just Googled Portsmouth City Council councillors and got their pictures up with their names. And all I did is just began picking them off. Right, God, what do you want to say to this one? And then I'll just write down in the card what God was saying. I did that for all the politicians. Um, our church sponsored a coffee voucher for every politician because often they get a lot of criticism. We wanted to kind of honor them, not, not for the things that they do wrong, they're politicians, but to honor them for what they do right, that they're giving up their time and, and, and that they, they are doing some help, some more than others. But So we wanted to honor them and just kind of speak to their identity and that God loves them, he values them. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So, so I did that, put Costa card in there. I put a physical copy of the Father's love letter with the prayer of salvation on the back. I mean, I really went for it. And I knew you're probably not going to get asked to be the chaplain next year because you've just really gone to town on being evangelical. I mean, you've gone overboard. But God told me to do it. So it was like, do I want to keep being invited to these, you know, nice meals where I'm, you know, having to dress up and sitting with very, you know, important, you know, profile people in the community. You get some nice invitations that come your way. Or, or are you going to be honoring God and putting God first and saying, okay, Lord, you've told me to do this. Might feel a bit uncomfortable, but hey, I'm going to just go for it. So anyway, I just thought, hey, do you know what? It's my last time. If I'm going to go down, let's go down in a blaze of glory. I just went for it. I just gave it to them, you know, double barrel. And so anyway, that on uh, next year, what, what do you think happened? Do you think I got elected as the chaplain? No, I didn't. They didn't invite me back. But I was later told that it was in that, it was in that meeting that the politicians, I mean, I, I stayed for a little bit of time and then I went, but the politicians were actually quoting what I'd said in that meeting and saying, hey, you heard what the pastor said about love and how we should be loving the Should we really be cutting those, that money to those people? And come on, you heard that this is about love. And basically the message of love impacted the meeting where it shifted and changed, where they were wanting to make cuts. And it changed that the whole thing was steered by this message of love. That was the day, apparently, the, another politician said, that was the day you won the heart of the leader of the Portsmouth City Council. We, uh, the next year, even though I wasn't asked to be the chaplain, I was still praying for these politicians. And that's something that, you know, I'm sure that in this room there's some of you that are called to influence the governmental sphere. We're all called to pray for our leaders, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not. Scripture tells us we are to pray for those in leadership, those in government. It's so important. And, and so, you know, you could just do a very simple thing. Just Google, you know, councillors in Cambridge, you know, politicians in Cambridge, and you'll get a list and some pictures. And you can print that picture off, put it by your desk or on your fridge or whatever, and you can pray. 
that God would move in power, that he would touch their lives. So anyway, um, we had a service at the church where we were doing about um, the spheres of influence. We're looking at some of the seven mountain mandate and how God wants us to have influence in business and government and media and education and the military and the family home, religion. God wants us to have influence in every sphere. And so we did a a service called God and Government. And in that service, I invited all of the major political parties to have a representative to sit on the stage with me. Not Christians. One of them was a Christian. So I just invited them. And, you know, I mean, I... I conducted the interview. I made it very clear this is not uh, hustings. This is not about debating. This is not about saying who to vote for. But this is about encouraging Christians to be prayerful and to take interest because there will be some of the people that will be called to have influence in that sphere of government. So anyway, I weaved it in with the gospel, and obviously they came to the service, and they invited a lot of their political friends who came along to that meeting as well. And uh, we, it, we had a really great time, and the leader of the city council was really impacted, really emotional during the service. You just see Holy Spirit all over it. And um, so, And I didn't know, but that day sat behind me when I was during the worship was the deputy Lord Mayor who was in line to become the Lord Mayor. Well, anyway, he, again, not, not uh, really Christian background. And at the, at the end of the service, the leader of the city council comes up and says, oh, it's amazing. I really, wow, I really enjoyed that. And we put on a nice meal for them just to really honor them. And she said, you, you, you need to expect that you're probably going to get a phone call because Deputy Lord Mayor was here today and loved the way that you prayed. And so he wants you to be his, his chaplain. So sure enough, uh, the phone call came. And uh, I had an invitation that was actually brought to one of our services. We were having one of our conferences. And at the end of the service, as I would no- normally close it down, Laura jumps up and she says, oh, no, I've got something to say. And I'm like, what? Like, I normally you close this. And she's like, no, 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 there's something. And anyway, what they'd done is they'd brought a politician into the service who then in front of all the people said, I'm here on behalf of the Lord Mayor, the city. We want to invite your pastor to be our chaplain, not only to the Lord Mayor, but to the city council, to all of the politicians. So that was just amazing. You know, that will come out of like a prophetic word that was given that didn't come to pass straight away. I I didn't even feel qualified for, but how God has just positioned that. And now God is causing us to have greater influence. And we've been speaking at uh, some coffee mornings for uh, in the local government and God's just opening up and and now I'm kind of really feeling inspired to do a prayer walk around Parliament. And God's just kind of upgrading what that looks like. And, but, but prayer is something that is so important. And when you, get a, when you get a prophetic word, war with it. Like, it's like a missile at the enemy. We had one guy who was due to speak at our conference. He had been invited to speak at our conference gateway. And um, he basically suddenly had a real turn where it had like a heart attack or some major things went wrong with his heart. His family was invited to say goodbye to him. He'd had multiple open heart surgery. 
And uh, during that time, um, he held on to a prophecy for a word about speaking at Gateway Conference. So he warred. He used the prophetic words like missiles at the enemy. saying, well, God, you said I was going to speak at that conference. You gave that promise. So I'm not, I know my time is not finished yet. And so I encourage you, you know, when you get those prophetic words, to war with the prophetic words. Don't let the enemy rob you of what he has destined for your life. How many of you remember doing exams at school? How many of you hated exams at school? Yeah, not, not, some of you, who loved, who loved doing exams? Oh, there's a few, few, wow, like, we are in the intellectual center of England, in Cambridge. Um, it's, you know, wh- what about your driving test? Who, who, who here remembers doing your driving test? Who here passed first time? Wow. For those of you that didn't, there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that. You know, when I was at school, some tests I did really well on and others I, I didn't do so well on. And there was normally a correlation by the amount of time that I'd spent learning the topic and, and really getting to grips with it and understanding it. Uh, those ones that I scored high in, that I did well in, would normally mean that I would be able to stay in the top set, or maybe if I was in a lower set, would be able to go up a level, be in a different group. I remember as a child uh, learning to read, and there were different colours. And as you were able to, you know, pass certain tests, and you would be able to read other colours. And before we experience promotion in our life, we will go through series of tests in our life. I want to call today's message this afternoon before promotion comes the test and then I want to ask you a question have you passed the test yet why don't you turn to your neighbor and ask them have you passed the test yet and of course some tests are very official and obvious Whereas other tests that we go through are not so obvious. When I learned to drive, and I had my drive, I mean, my granddad was a driving instructor. He was very good. He kind of had like a flawless record. So, I mean, there was a bit of pressure there. Grandson, you know, I've never failed anyone. So don't you dare be the first. But he did give me a lot of lessons and he was very good. And on my first time, I passed my test. But I remember when I finished and passed the test, he said, now it's time to really learn how to drive. How many of you know, like when you get out on the road after passing, that's when you really start to take your driving to a whole new level. Let's have a look at a couple of scriptures. Psalm 75, 7 says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. I like the way the Passion Translation puts it. This I know. The favor that brings promotion and power doesn't come from anywhere on earth. For no one exalts a person but God, the true judge of all. He alone determines where favor rests. He anoints one for greatness and brings another down to his knees. So I want us to, to acknowledge that promotion comes from God. 
Promotion comes from God. But often God will use people and he'll use situations, he'll use circumstance to see whether we are ready for the next level. In Daniel 3, verse 30, it says this. Then the king promoted. Everyone say promoted. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, if you look up that word, promoted, you get this Aramaic word, selak, which means to prosper, to have success, to advance forward, to cause things to go well, to be raised to great honors. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? How, how many of you want to be promoted in your life? I mean, it's rare to meet someone who say, oh, oh no, I don't want to go anywhere in my life. Oh, I just want everything to stay the same. Like, we all, like, even if we don't, like, have maybe, like, a career ambition to kind of progress within that, like, we all, like, want to have better relationships. And, and you know, sometimes when people say, oh, well, you know, I'm, they try and act super humble. Oh, I just want enough money for me and my family. And I say, wow, that's really selfish. Because what about all the other people who need the blessing of God? I asked, Lord, not only give me enough to meet my needs and my family, but give me over and above so that I can sow generously into the other people as well. That I can partner more with the kingdom of God. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. And he wants you to prosper in every area of your life. We're blessed in order that we might be a blessing. That's what it's about. God's not against us having the blessing. He's not against us having things, but he is against those things having us. So when it becomes all about us, self-centered, that's when when he's against it. But God wants us to have this generous, expansive heart just to give and be a blessing to the world around. Now, I know that... uh, Pastor Phil shared a message about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recently and preached on the fiery furnace. And, and here, of course, we come in at a high point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get promoted. They get an upgrade in their, in their pay. They get more authority, more power, more prominence. They're being honored. They're being esteemed, lifted up higher. And we can jump into certain parts of the Bible where we see these kind of fanfare, mountaintop experiences. I mean, wow, yeah, like that's what I want to experience in my life. But for those of you that were here to hear the message that Pastor Phil preached, you know about what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went through. They went through the fiery furnace. They went through some hardships, and it would have been very easy for them to have compromised. I mean, just think about it. Think about if in your town center here in Cambridge, a big golden idol was set up, and you were told, and a law was made in the land that when the music on the tannoy came out, or maybe, I don't know, in the digital age, you get a notification on your phone. Everyone heard it. Everyone got the message. You had to bow down, stop whatever you were doing, and worship this idol. And if you were found to not be doing it, you would be executed. 
Now, I wonder how many of us would actually do that. And I know that most of us would probably say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, oh, no, I would do it. But, like, no, really, like, if you had, like, would you really worship God if you had a gun to your head? Like, would you really be willing to lay it all down? Because this is where these guys were at. Their life was on the line. And yet, they stayed faithful. They obeyed God even when everyone else was disobeying God. And sometimes in life, we, we have these tests that God takes us. He takes us through a series of different types of tests. God was testing them whether they would be obedient. And because of their obedience, we see the promotion. You see, a lot of people want the promotion without the obedience. A lot of people want the upgrade. Yeah, we want to advance forward. We want to, you know, take new territory. But we're not being obedient. So God has called us to do the things that he has told us. God's called us to, to do what's right, not, not what's necessarily popular. Before promotion comes the test. So the first test I want to identify, and there's lots of them, the obedience test. Are you willing to obey God? To obey what his word says? Or do you try and argue with God and say, oh no, I know better. God's word is true. God has called us to to be full on, to be all in. And I don't think we're ever going to see a real global revival until we get to that point where we're willing to lay it all down for, his, for the name of Christ. That like that there's that radical Christianity coming back where like I'm willing to die for this because this means everything to me. Because I fear God above fearing man. And I encourage you, if you've not studied the fear of the Lord, I do believe the next big move of God, I believe, will include the fear of the Lord. I believe it's not something that's spoken much in churches, but I believe it's going to come back. You read about it, not just in Old Testament, you read about it in the book of Acts as well. I'm not talking about a fear, a terror, not an evil type of fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear. But I'm talking about when you look at the fear of the Lord, it's about respect. It's about honor. It's about reverence, and it's a very, very powerful thing. Has anyone here um, been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, amazing place, isn't it? Like When you go down and you go into what's called the horseshoe, and there's like thousands of tons of water that are just streaming down, and it's like really deafening. And I remember going on a trip last year and going into that, and on the boat they called the Maid in the Mist, and uh, just, I remember just standing there and feeling so small as this power was just, and I'm just thinking, that that's not even God. That's just a tiny little bit of what God can do. But it was that sense of just awe of, oh my goodness, how amazing. He is God. We are not. So I encourage you, if you get a chance do a study on the fear of the Lord. There's so many benefits when we really get a revelation of what it means to fear God, to be in reverence, to respect him, to honor him. So the obedience test, have you passed the obedience test? 
Another person we see that's tested in this area is Daniel. And we know that he was elevated to a position of honor and he was very involved in government and political influence and a real man of in- integrity. And uh, let's have a look. Daniel 2.48, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, Babylon, it was a very evil kind of sin central place. Nowadays, it would be known as modern day Iraq. But here we see this is an amazing example of how you guys as Christians can thrive in the midst of the darkness. Daniel uh, was, was part of a very small remnant, a very small minority. And sometimes we think, oh, you know, if my boss was Christian, you know, if the other people that are around me were Christian, oh, I'd be promoted more. No, this is evidence. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, they're examples of how you guys can thrive as bright lights in the darkness. But what God's looking for is will you be obedient and we know about Daniel don't we that his life was at risk you know about interpreting a dream and and then like you know Daniel's he's doing all the right things and Shadrach Meshach and they were doing the right things and yet it seemed to be getting the wrong response and sometimes have you ever been in a situation in your life where it's, you've been doing all the right things and yet it seems like bad things are coming against you and sometimes we think well maybe I'm missing the mark maybe you know, maybe I'm, I'm not doing things right. But sometimes, actually, the opposition is the evidence that you're heading in the right direction. Now, I'm not talking about sin. You know, sometimes we can bring things on ourselves and, you know, we're our own worst enemy. But God is looking for us to be people that are bold enough to be obedient to him. What about Abraham? You know, God asked him to give up his one and only son that he'd believe for 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 so many years, finally the son had arrived, but God was testing to see, does does the promise being fulfilled mean more than the one who gave the promise? God was testing, has your son now replaced me? God was testing him. It wasn't that God, well, I mean, it would have been very crazy if you imagine that God tells you, for those of you parents, you know, sacrifice your son or your daughter. I mean, that's a bit of what? God never wanted Abraham to sacrifice his son. And for Abraham, he's like, hang on, but I know you're a God of love. So, but I know you've spoken to me. But he was willing to be obedient even when it sounds crazy. Think about Noah. He was another one. God told him to build an ark. You would think it would be pretty kind of uh, a good idea if it was maybe in a port city, somewhere like Portsmouth. But it wasn't. He asked him to build a big boat in the middle of the desert when there hadn't been rain on the earth yet. It was a crazy thing. But Noah obeyed. And I'm sure he got lots of persecution. I'm sure he had lots of criticism. But he obeyed God. And God blessed him. And God blessed his family as well. Think about Mary. You know, carrying the saviour of the world and that kind of proposition about carrying the, you know, the saviour of the world. Big responsibility. And in those days, like, being pregnant outside of wedlock, I mean, that was a stonable offence. 
you would have been really shamed in that community. And uh, so she was really risking her reputation. But she was willing to obey. I love those words, you know, be it done unto me according to your word. And, And I believe that's what God wants us to be like. That we say, God, you know, I don't understand it. I don't get it. It might sound crazy. But God, you've spoken. I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to try and work it all out. And I think sometimes we want to try and and work it all out in our lives, don't we, before we do something. I want want to ask you, how many of you here have ever been on an aeroplane? Okay. So you've been on an aeroplane. Okay. Now, if I asked you, those of you who raised your hands, if I asked you, did you and do you understand all of the aerodynamics and the science and the engineering and the mathematical equations that go into building an aeroplane? If I gave you all of the parts and said, build me an aeroplane and fly me an aeroplane, how many of you could do it? So you don't really understand all the ins and the outs of an aeroplane but you still got on that aeroplane. And did that aeroplane get you to your destination? You don't have to understand it all to get to your destination. Sometimes we want to try and work it all out. And sometimes we just have to trust and obey. God will get us to the destination. I love what Proverbs 3 verse 5, 6 says, you know, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. So don't try and work it out. We have this wonderful picture that was showed at Alpha recently, and it had a picture of an earthworm that come up on the screen, and it said, show me an earthworm that understands a man, and I'll show you a man that understands God. And I was like, wow, I like that. That's powerful. God's called us to be people of obedience before promotion comes the test. Have you passed the test yet? Here's another test. What about test of character? Who are you when no one's looking? I'm not asking like what your reputation is, what other people think of you. I'm not asking you what other people see on the facade. I'm not saying what do they see on social media from you. I'm asking you a very deep question. Who are you when no one's looking? Because God wants our private life to match our public life. And character is about being consistent. God's called us to be consistent people. That we're not fake, we're not phonies, that that we're genuine. And this is not about saying be perfect, because I'm not perfect. None of you are. But we're on a journey and we're, it's not about striving, it's about surrender, it's about leaning on him and, and, and being in that consistent pursuit of more of him. You know, I like to think about character, it's like a stick of rock. How many of you like to eat the stick of rock? Sometimes, you know, you remember being brought then back from holiday. And you'll notice that on the end of that stick of rock, there's a pattern. And it doesn't matter where you break the stick of rock, the pattern remains consistent. When people break into our lives, when people cut into our lives, what they should see is the pattern of Jesus Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. God gave him an amazing dream, didn't he? And you think, wow, like high point. He's going to be a man of influence. So these people bow into him and he's going to 
you know, really go places in his life. But what happened after that dream? He was given that. It's like all hell broke loose, right? His brothers rejected him. You know, you understand not everyone's going to be for your dream. And I want to say this, be careful who you share your dream with. So Joseph shares his dream and his brothers, you know the story, men, if you know the story, throws him into a pit and then he ends up being sold into slavery. And then later on, he's, you know, put in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And, you know, there was opportunities where he could have, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, and he was doing pretty well, he'd been given a bit of prestige uh, in the prison and there'd been some promotion. He could have, you know, she was like, hey, you know, let's go to bed. Let's be with one another. No one will know. But, but Joseph knew that, that God sees everything. And, and we need to put more of an attention and focus on developing our private life than our public life. And that's what I tell leaders, ministers... Focus more on your private life than your public life because what you experience in the private life, you'll project in the public place. God wants us to be people of character and Joseph stayed faithful to God. He feared God. He, he was not going to hurt his God and he stayed faithful. As a result, there was a consequence for that. But he strayed true to God. And what happened to Joseph at the end? He got promoted to be the prime minister of the mega power of the world at that time, Egypt. I mean, that's like the only one next to that is Pharaoh. God elevated him. So, so many times, like, yeah, Lord, I want the promotion. I want the blessing. I want to advance. But I don't want the test. No, before promotion comes the test. Have you passed the test yet your gift can open the door of great opportunity but it's your character that is the door wedge that keeps that door open good character is about consistently revealing the character and nature of god okay let's have a look at another test the test of opposition how many of you have experienced this test of opposition we should all put our hands up that Because we've all been through times where we've been opposed. All the great men and women of God experienced times of great opposition. Let's have a look at um, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 11.24. This is just a little snapshot of some of what he went through. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. This is like basically whipping. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and day. I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleepness as often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily. He went through a lot. And so don't buy into the lie that if you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. Because it's not true. There will be persecutions, as many of the afflictions of the righteous. So there is going to be opposition. We're at war. 
And I would say if you're not being attacked, there's probably a problem. Because when we start advancing, you will start finding that opposition will start to come against you. In Acts 28, um, Paul arrives on Malta um, on a mission. And uh, the journey, you know, to get there, those of you that read the chapter before, he had a shipwreck. So he's on a mission, but to get there, he goes through this shipwreck. And no doubt, Paul was very wet and cold. And so he starts to gather sticks for a fire that had been lit. And, and some of you will know the story. I encourage you to read it if you've not read it in Acts 28. But as he puts these sticks in the fire, all of a sudden a viper, a, a serpent, jumps out of the fire and latches onto his hand. Now the islanders in Malta then begin to oppose Paul and accuse him of being a cursed criminal. And this guy's obviously murdered some people. He's, he's a criminal. He's a bad guy. He is doomed. Well, Paul shakes off the snake into the fire. They're all watching him and, well, he survives. It's amazing how fickle people are. One moment they're, you know, saying this guy's a cursed criminal. Next thing they're saying, maybe he's one of the gods. And this, can you see how this swings and how the enemy, you know, one minute it's kind of like you're a really bad cursed person and then like you are God. And both are wrong because you're not God. But this is how the enemy works. He, he tries to puff you up. He tries to fill you with pride because he knows that, that you know, pride comes before destruction. So he tries to, to do it. So here we see Paul and, and he just, he shakes off the snake um, into the fire. And, you know, we have to, it's important that we don't allow the venom of opposition to get into our bloodstream. It's, it's you know, it might come... It might come in the form of obvious persecution or it might come in a very subtle form of people being misguided in their praise. Now, when the fire of the Holy Spirit burns, don't be surprised when the serpent nature shows up. When you build a fire and the fire of the Holy Spirit's there, and we were singing about it earlier on, don't be surprised when you see some vipers jump out that fire because the presence of God will expose the serpent nature. So we see, and, and, and the very thing that exposed the serpent nature, he threw back into the fire and it killed the serpent. God is saying to some of you here that maybe have, you know, had some opposition. He's saying, shake off the serpent. Shake it off into the fire. God will destroy it. God had a mission for Paul on, on this, in Malta called him to do a, a great work in that place. Now, it's interesting that the snake bit his hand. What does hand, the hand represent? It represents the work of your hand. It represents your ministry. So here, he's building a fire, presence of God, you know, representing the presence of God blazing in his life. Serpent jumps out. What's it do? Attaches to his hand. It wants to stop the work of his hand. It wants to stop his ministry. And this is, this is what happens. Satan is seeking to destroy what God had given Paul to do. And, and you know, there was a lot of uh, opposition. There was a lot of stuff that Paul went through. And it's interesting that when you look at what was on the other side of that, he came through that opposition. He shakes off the snake. You know, it dies, he lives. And, but, but we know, don't we, about Paul that he wrote, you know, over, over 
a third of the New Testament. He wrote it, so that involved his hand. And he had a ministry. We, lots of people today were raising their hands. What's it we're trying to do? Trying to stop your worship. Trying to stop your witness. Trying to stop your voice. That's what the enemy was doing. And then it's really interesting when you read on. This is powerful. Acts 28. Read it a bit further on. Verse 7 to 10, it says this. In that region, there was an estate of a leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius um, lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. See that? He laid his hand on him and healed him. The very hand that the enemy tried to paralyze, tried to destroy Here, now, we're seeing that same hand being used to bring healing. And it doesn't stop there. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. Here we see promotion. They honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So can you see why the enemy latched onto his hand. Can you see why there was opposition? Because he knew, the enemy knew, if he could affect him and, and take out his hand and kill him ultimately, that it was going to stop the third of the test, New Testament being written, stop his worship, and stop not only that one person being healed, but multiple people. I want to say to some of you that have been bitten on your hand, what God meant for harm, what the enemy meant for harm, God's going to turn around for good. That where you've been bitten, God is going to use that same hand that was bitten by the enemy. God's going to use it to release healing on the multitudes. I declare that over you in Jesus' name. Before promotion comes a test. In September last year, Laura and I decided we felt like God said to us about um, homeschooling our girls. And... uh, so we've been going on this journey and, you know, people say, oh, you know, are you against the school system? No, God just told us to do it. So we did it. Um, we didn't do it to be understood by everyone or for everyone's approval. We just did it because that's what God told us to do. So we did it. And uh, so anyway, with Talia and, and she's uh, looking through a book and, and that day she was learning about forests. And so she said, oh, Daddy, can you come over? Can you read this to me? And so there was this particular page that was about the jack pine and the lodgepole pine. Now they have, it's like a type of pine cone, they have these pine cones. But the jack pine and the lodgepole pine, they have the pine cones, the seeds are like welded shut, like resin, like almost like super glue. Like you cannot, you cannot access the seeds because they're so clamped um, together. Do you know the only way that these seeds can be released? Through a forest fire. The only way that these seeds can be released in the jack pine and the lodgepole pine is through a forest fire. When the temperature soars to a certain temperature, it melts the resin like wax and it releases and scatters seeds all over 
the forest floor. So when you go through the fires of life, and maybe there's times in your life where God allows things to burn away in your life, when we go through those fires, after, you know, if we were to look after this picture, you know, it would just be charred, black, charcoal, you know, on the floor and just ash and dust. But actually, if you were to really see what was going on, actually, the floor would be full of seeds that would release vibrant new life. God wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing in your life. He wants to do a new thing in Cambridge. He wants to do a new thing here in King's Church. And sometimes we don't always understand it. But God wants to burn away those things that hold us back. And he wants to release seeds of new life. So I want you to have a different perspective when you go through the fires in your life at times. Interesting, isn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go through the fiery furnace. What was the only thing that, 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 in it, that got burned away? It was the binds that held them. They were able to walk around. Jesus was with them. God will use the fire to burn away the things that bind you. What about this one, the offense test? How many people get offended? You know, it's, it's so yeah, just we do, we do get offended, don't we? We have to wait a bit longer in that queue at the petrol station or in McDonald's or wherever, and you know, we get all you know in a fuss about it. And you know, I just, you know, I always think it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? When you've got people scavenging for their lives on rubbish dumps around the world, and we're complaining about what. We can get so offended by things. You know, oh, well, you know, the service was too long or it was too short or I didn't like the way he said that. You know, and and we get so offended and so overly sensitive around things. And and, and do you know what offense does? Offense creates a fence. It, it, It puts a barrier between people. So that's why as a church we've really got to keep short accounts to protect the unity, to be people that walk in love and forgiveness. Unconditionally, whether people deserve it or not, we love people. But we don't get offended. This is one of the things it says in Proverbs eighteen nineteen: a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And, a content- and contentions are like the bars of a castle. It entraps you. And offense often will lead to unforgiveness, which is one of the biggest blockages to accessing the abundant life that God has for us. And sometimes, you know, we think, oh, mate, you know, we're praying and we're not seeing answers to our prayer. And we think, oh, you know, I need more faith. You know, and, and the answer is not that you need more faith. The issue isn't your faith. The issue is your love walk. Because faith works by love. It's like When you're walking in unforgiveness, it's like you're pouring gravel in your engine of your car. And everything clunks and doesn't work properly. But when you forgive, when you let go of the offense, it's not about saying what they did to you was right, but you're releasing it. I forgive because I'm forgiven. I love because he first loved me. Even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And when I think about, you know, when I think about my sin of what God's forgiven me, in Portsmouth, we've got this place called Port Solon, and it's got this rubbish dump, and it's like this ma- massive mountain of rubbish. And I think, like, that's what God dealt with for me. So when people come along and dump a few bin liners, yeah, it's stinky, it's not very nice, 
But I think about what God's done for me. I mean, he saved me. And if he's forgiven me, I too should forgive other people. Faith works by love. So for some of you that may be frustrated that you're not seeing answers to prayer, it's, it might not be that it's a faith issue. It's, it's likely to be a love issue. When you walk in love and forgiveness, it's like pouring premium oil into the engine. And all of a sudden you see acceleration happening in your life like never before. We are called to be a people that walk in love. I'll just quickly skim through these next ones. So I'm aware time's gone. Humility test. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 23, 12. I want to ask you the question, is your life more about me or is it more about he? God's called us to be a people of humility. It says in James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's not try and promote ourselves. Humble ourselves under his hand and he will lift us up. Faithfulness test. Are you being faithful with what God has currently put in your hand? Luke 16.10 says, he who is faithful in what as least will be faithful also much. You know, I meet with people, you know, maybe you talk to them about being faithful in an area like, let's take for example, like giving. And say, you know, they're believing, you know, I want God to give me a thousand pounds or, you know, I need money for this. Let me say this. If you can't be faithful with a tenner, you ain't going to be faithful with a grand. (laughs) And if you can't be faithful with a grand, you're not going to be faithful with hundred grand. It's, It's a test of faithfulness. Will you be faithful? I remember Joyce Meyer, you know, leading a Bible study of like 20, 30 people. She was faithful to do it and prepare and honor and and teach the people. Now she's speaking to millions around the world. But it didn't just happen. Before promotion came the test. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes we would love you to leave us some feedback God bless and goodbye